Hey guys, I'd like to introduce you to a new podcast that I know you're going to love. Do you like travel? Do you like picturesque locations and getting away from it all? Well, this new podcast has all that and murder. It's called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that took place on vacation. Hosted by a true crime fanatic, her comedy writer husband and his TV producing partner, Slaycation brings a unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, and WTF stories of vacations gone horribly wrong. From the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorne, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, two recently engaged lovebirds whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended underwater. Each episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that'll intrigue you. It's the discussion between a longtime married couple and business partners who happen to be Emmy-nominated TV producers. Each episode of Slaycation also includes humor, takeaway and travel tips that will keep your next vacation from being your last. If you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every town has a dark side. Today we head to Riverside, California, where we check out the toxic woman, Gloria Ramirez, and the multiple conspiracy theories surrounding her death. In a previous era, the word toxic primarily referred to poisonous waste, substances, and chemicals. In recent years, the definition of the word has evolved to describe something very unpleasant and unacceptable that causes harm and unhappiness. So a person, a relationship, a work atmosphere, a culture, or a social media platform can now be labeled as toxic. In fact, the Oxford Dictionary declared toxic as 2018's word of the year where it reflected the ethos, mood, or preoccupations in 2018. But did you know that 23 years ago, an American woman named Gloria Ramirez from Riverside, California, was nicknamed by the media as the Toxic Woman? She allegedly emitted noxious fumes from her body and blood that caused fainting spells and illnesses among 23 medical practitioners in a Riverside Hospital's emergency room. Eventually, the toxic woman died, and certain interesting conspiracy theories surround her death, considered to be a major medical mystery. Hi, I'm Andy Fitzgerald, and welcome to another fascinating podcast of every town. This week's episode will unravel one of the most baffling medical cases that has ever been encountered in a hospital emergency room. The death of cancer-stricken Gloria Ramirez was the most tragic moment that night in February of 1994. 
But what happened to the many ER frontliners briefly exposed to the so-called toxic woman has become a medical mystery like no other. The following is a comprehensive account of that exceptional incident. Any woman diagnosed with cancer at a young age would feel the world crumbling down on them. What could be much worse than knowing that the life-threatening disease has already reached an advanced stage? Will there still be hope for recovery? Will it be worth battling out? Riverside, California native Gloria Ramirez became all too familiar with the scenario when, in January of 1994, at 31 years old, she found out that she would be facing an incredible battle, late-stage cervical cancer. Suddenly, Gloria had to contend with mental and emotional anguish while enduring physical pain and discomfort. The diagnosis rocked the once-steady marriage she shared with her husband and her 12- and 9-year-old children from a previous relationship. The beautiful life of Gloria who was described by family, friends, and churchmates as a friend to all, bringing comfort and joy to others through her quick smile and carefree humor, drastically changed. And on one fateful night, Gloria's life tragically came to an end. On the evening of February 19, 1994, just six weeks after receiving her cancer diagnosis, Gloria complained of difficulty breathing and an irregular heartbeat. Wearing shorts and a t-shirt, she was rushed to the Riverside General Hospital in Riverside City in the southern part of California. On the way there, inside the ambulance, Gloria was administered oxygen and intravenous fluids. Around 8.15 p.m., she was wheeled into the emergency department and was brought to a small, curtained space marked Trauma Room 1. She was fully conscious at the time, but she sometimes responded to questions incoherently. The signs of struggle were unmistakable, Her breaths were shallow and rapid, and her heart was beating too fast to allow its chambers to fill completely, so her blood pressure was plummeting and her pulse was racing. The ER medical staff were informed of Gloria's late-stage cancer. As part of the standard protocol in Gloria's case, the medical staff injected her with a host of fast-acting drugs such as Valium and Antivin to sedate her and agents like lidocaine and bertilium to stabilize her abnormal heartbeat and blood pressure. Unfortunately, the cocktail of drugs proved insufficient to alleviate Gloria's symptoms, so respiratory therapist Maureen Welch forced air into the patient's lungs through an ambibag, which was placed over Gloria's nose and mouth, serving as a sanitary alternative to mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. But Gloria responded poorly, so the staff decided to defibrillate her heart with electricity. When they removed her shirt to apply voltage to her chest, 
the most bizarre emergency room mystery started to unravel. And the witnesses, seasoned and experienced medical personnel themselves, couldn't fathom what had transpired. In order to restore Gloria's heartbeat, applying a defibrillator to her chest was perhaps a final and desperate attempt. As the medical staff pressed padded electrodes against her chest, they noticed something odd. Her body was covered in a greasy sheen, and her mouth gave off a fruity and garlicky odor, which wasn't altogether alarming, but definitely strange. Registered nurse Susan Kane tasked with extracting blood from Gloria for analysis, swabbed the patient's right arm with rubbing alcohol, inserted a catheter, and attached a syringe. The second strange thing inside the ER happened at this point. As blood filled up the syringe, Nurse Susan smelled an ammonia-like odor coming from Gloria's extracted blood, which respiratory therapist Maureen also detected. I thought it would smell like chemotherapy, the way the blood smells putrid when people are taking some of those drugs, Maureen said. But Gloria hadn't undergone chemotherapy treatment yet. Aside from the distinct smell of ammonia, the blood also contained a wash of straw-colored crystals when the vial was swirled around. Maureen handed the vial to medical resident Dr. Julie Gorchinsky, and Dr. Umberto Ochoa, the attending physician in charge of the ER. Both doctors agreed it was strange indeed, but before they could further analyze the blood sample, the third unusual turn of events that night happened. The usual frenetic but orderly emergency room became a center of chaos. Nurse Susan turned toward the trauma room door swayed and fainted on the scene. She managed to complain of feeling her face burning before she was put on a gurney and taken out. Shortly thereafter, Dr. Gorchinsky felt nauseous and left the trauma room to sit on a chair. But she too slumped down on the floor. The medical resident was experiencing the symptoms of apnea a condition in which the person will shake intermittently, stop breathing for a few seconds, then take a few breaths and stop breathing again, repeating the pattern over and over. In Trauma Room 1, it was respiratory therapist Maureen's turn to feel the inexplicable symptoms her colleagues had experienced. She remembered hearing someone scream, and when she regained consciousness, she couldn't control the movement of her limbs. What followed were complaints of several ER staff of feeling ill, so the hospital administrators declared an internal emergency and evacuated all emergency room patients and staff to the hospital parking lot. However, Dr. Ochoa stayed behind and headed a skeleton crew that desperately tried to save Gloria Ramirez's life, but to no avail. The cancer victim's blood pressure continued to drop and her pulse grew fainter. 
Dr. Ochoa and three others repeatedly administered electric shocks and drugs, but their efforts to stabilize Gloria failed. Sadly, at 8.50 p.m., the physician pronounced her dead. Two staff members moved Gloria's body to an adjacent isolation room. While tragedy struck, trauma room one, panic and fear dominated in the parking lot as hospital staff treated patients and sick colleagues under dim lights. They stripped down to their underwear and bundled their clothes in plastic bags out of concern that the stricken staff were contaminated with toxic chemicals. A vocational nurse who helped take Gloria's remains to the isolation room began retching, felt a burning sensation on her skin, so much so that she too was laid out on a gurney. That brief but seemingly out-of-this-world incident at the Riverside General Hospital accounted for one death and 23 staff who fell sick, five of whom were hospitalized overnight. Dr. Gorchinsky had the worst case, requiring a two-week stay at the intensive care unit because she was suffering not only from apnea but also hepatitis, pancreatitis, and avascular necrosis, a condition in which bone tissue is starved of blood and begins to die. Her avascular necrosis attacked her knees, restricting the doctor to crutches for months. The vocational nurse was likewise stricken with apnea and required 10 days of hospitalization. How could mayhem with such scale erupt within a period of just 45 minutes? Was the illness of the Riverside General Hospital emergency room staff connected to Gloria, the ill-fated cancer victim? The strange occurrence quickly caught the attention of the media, becoming the talk of the town. The surreal incident gained notoriety as one of America's most baffling medical mysteries in recent history and eternalized the late Gloria Ramirez as the toxic woman. The news all over the papers, radio, and television about the emergency room catastrophe captured the public's imagination. The frightening possibility that a human body, dead or alive, could release toxic fumes triggered an extensive forensic investigation that involved medical detectives from 10 local, state, and federal units. The first to respond at 11 p.m. on the evening of the incident was a Riverside County hazardous materials team, which was tasked with detecting and eradicating poisonous chemicals lurking in the ER, though the source of the toxic fumes was undoubtedly Gloria Ramirez. To the relief of the hospital personnel, the hazmat team found neither the rotten egg-smelling hydrogen sulfide that can cause death when whiffed, nor phosgene, a chemical weapon that tears open capillaries in the lungs and drowns its victims in blood. Since the careful search of the hazmat team ruled out the presence of any toxic chemicals or pathogens inside the ER, the Riverside Coroner's Office took on the task of performing an autopsy on Gloria's body. Geared in airtight protective suits, 
the pathologist did the post-mortem in a sealed examining chamber and emerged 90 minutes later with blood and tissue samples along with air from the body bag and aluminum crate holding the body. Strangely, the coroner's office withheld its findings as it still hadn't discovered anything remarkable several days after performing that autopsy. Thus, it solicited help from an independent entity, an obscure outfit called the Forensic Science Center at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, situated about 60 miles east of San Francisco. The center was established shortly after World War II to build nuclear arms, but after production of nuclear weapons dwindled, the site was turning into a forensic center in 1990. It became a clearinghouse that allowed state and federal law enforcement forensic teams to avail of advanced assistance from Livermore and Department of Energy scientists. On March 25, 1994, the Riverside Coroner's Office shipped Gloria's autopsy samples to Livermore's Forensic Science Center. But on April 12th, the center informed the coroner's office that its analysis hadn't found anything that looked like poison. The center's director, Brian Anderson, said there clearly was something unusual going on, but nothing that could have killed Gloria or caused the emergency room staff symptoms. Anderson wondered, how could I spend this much time and not find anything? The pressure to disclose the toxic woman's autopsy results mounted, so on April 29th, coroner Scotty Hill announced through a press conference that Ms. Ramirez had died of cardiac dysrhythmia triggered by kidney failure caused by her cervical cancer. With that, Hill closed the investigation on Gloria's death, but said a solid explanation had not been identified linking the outbreak of illness among the ER personnel to Gloria, nor how any external toxic substances would have contributed to her death. Hello? Thus, the Riverside County Health Department called in California's Department of Health and Human Services for further investigation. It sent its two top scientists, Dr. Anna Maria Osorio, and Dr. Kirsten Waller, who interviewed the 34 ER staff who had worked the night shift on February 19th. The result of their inquiry determined that the ER medical personnel who experienced the symptoms were those who worked closely with Gloria Ramirez, particularly those who helped resuscitate her and handled her intravenous lines were the ones at high risk. Interestingly, the interviews also indicated that more female than male staff and those who had an empty stomach versus those who had had dinner that evening exhibited loss of consciousness, shortness of breath, and muscle spasms. Taking into consideration the hazmat examination, autopsy results, and interview findings, the health department issued an official report on September 2nd. The hospital staff, most likely experienced mass hysteria. It was a spat of mass sociogenetic illness triggered by the nauseating, fruity, garlicky odor that emanated from Gloria 
the toxic woman, which caused stress and anxiety among the medical staff. Doctors Osorio and Waller backed up their mass hysteria theory by citing the absence of poisonous evidence and that women mostly exhibited the symptoms. The doctors pointed out that both were hallmark signs of mass hysteria. Furthermore, none of the ambulance workers who were in contact with Gloria that evening showed any signs of the mysterious illness, perhaps because they were no longer at the scene when the first people had started fainting. Dr. Osorio and Dr. Waller, however, considered the possibility that some substance poisoned emergency room staff who had worked directly over Gloria. For some, this mass hysteria explanation was sufficient, but it angered the professional and experienced emergency room workers at the Riverside General Hospital. It was unacceptable and an insult to their profession and professionalism. They'd been exposed day in and day out to various severe medical cases for years, only to get hysterical because of a heart attack? The report was widely denounced, and the emergency room staff, who had attended to Gloria, were not going to back down. One of the more vocal critics of the report was medical resident Dr. Julie Gorchinsky, who together with her lawyer, Russell Kusman, decried the mass hysteria conclusion. She pointed to her stint in the ICU battling serious illnesses after the incident as evidence. Her lawyer said the report may have been based on politics or ignorance, but certainly not on science. Eventually, Dr. Gorchinsky filed a lawsuit against Riverside General Hospital, the coroner's office, and several others seeking $6 million in damages. On the other hand, respiratory therapist Maureen Welsh channeled her anger about the mass hysteria theory by imploring Brian Anderson, director of Forensic Science Center in Livermore, to take a look at the case more closely without any vested interest. She sent Anderson all the coroner's and toxicology reports, legal briefs, and news stories surrounding the case. At Livermore, forensic analysis discovered large amounts of painkillers in Gloria's system, such as lidocaine, Tylenol, codeine, and Tigan, which any cancer patient would likely take. But when Anderson reviewed the files, the one thing that particularly struck him was a speculation in the autopsy report about the source of the garlicky odor and the oily sheen in Gloria's body, DMSO, or dimethyl sulfoxide. It's a solvent used as a powerful degreaser, sold in gel form at hardware stores, can be externally applied as a remedy for pain and aches. Just a brief background about this seemingly little-known solvent. The wonder drug in the mid-60s because of its remarkable healing powers, easing intractable pain and reducing anxiety. But DMSO was rejected by the FDA when studies showed it could ruin human eyesight. Yet it still gained underground followings over the decades, especially among athletes, 
and people who suffer from arthritis and muscular strains. Along with the risk to eyesight, another downside is that DMSO leaves a garlicky taste and odor. In 1980, the FDA warned physicians to advise their patients against self-medicating themselves with DMSO gel. Most likely, Gloria desperately wanted to relieve the excruciating physical pain that came with cancer, so she resorted to DMSO's temporary remedy. It was absorbed by Gloria's body and penetrated into her bloodstream. So how did Gloria's use of DMSO as a pain reliever escalate to catastrophe in that emergency room? The gel-like solvent DMSO that eases physical pain is relatively harmless with doctor-regulated use, but it is just one oxygen atom short of DMSO2, or dimethyl sulfone. DMSO can react with oxygen and convert to DMSO2, an organic sulfur compound that occurs naturally in some primitive plants and is present in small amounts in many foods and beverages. So DMSO2 isn't lethal, right? But here's the catch. When a couple of oxygen atoms are added to it, it becomes DMSO4, or dimethyl sulfate, which is a truly toxic chemical. Dimethyl sulfate can kill cells and expose tissues in the eyes, mouth, and lungs. When its vapors are absorbed into the body, DMSO4 causes convulsions, delirium, paralysis, coma, and delayed damage to the kidneys, liver, and heart. It is deadly. How did the relatively harmless dimethyl sulfoxide, or DMSO, found in Gloria's body transform to become the toxic dimethyl sulfate, or DMSO4? While Gloria was inside that ambulance en route to the hospital, she received pure oxygen through a mask. The DMSO she applied on her body was oxidized and became DMSO2, which was still unhazardous at that point of the reaction. This explains why the paramedics in the ambulance didn't suffer the symptoms that the ER staff did. But how did the chemical reaction continue on into the emergency room? The mechanism by which DMSO was converted to the noxious DMSO4 is still just a theory and has never been replicated. However, it's worth considering. The Livermore scientists believe that the conversion was caused by the chilled air temperature of the emergency room. Then the electric shocks of the defibrillator delivered to Gloria could have facilitated the conversion into DMSO4, which in turn caused the illness of the ER personnel. Livermore experts posited a novel and somehow believable theory, but not everyone was satisfied. Organic chemists dismissed the theory, since direct conversion of DMSO2 to DMSO4 has never been observed. 
Others believe that the ER staff symptoms didn't match the symptoms of DMSO4 poisoning, and its known effects take several hours to show up after initial exposure, not minutes. Moreover, Gloria's family vehemently denies that she ever used DMSO at all. The Ramirez family's pathologist was unable to determine a cause of death because Gloria's heart was missing. Her other organs were cross-contaminated with fecal matter and her body was severely decomposed by the time the pathologist conducted the examination. More theories concerning the toxic woman case sprouted. One of the more outlandish ones discussed on the internet was that the ER incident and Gloria's death were the result of alien abduction. UFOlogists cited Gloria's unusual reaction with the ER staff as proof of extraterrestrial intrusion. Another theory, related to the distinctive ammonia smell that her body emitted in the ER, it posited that Gloria could have been exposed to precursor chemicals like methylamine used in the production of methamphetamine, a potent stimulant mainly used as a recreational drug that produces strong ammonia-like odors. The theory said that hospital workers involved in the production of methamphetamine were smuggling the chemical in intravenous bags and had mistakenly given one to Gloria. Still, it was a Livermore forensic laboratory theory that the Riverside Coroner's Office endorsed and later published in the journal Forensic Science International. Gloria Ramirez was buried on April 20, 1994, 10 weeks after her death, at Olivewood Memorial Park in Riverside, California. Decades later, the bizarre incident surrounding her death remains a medical and chemical mystery. Until the scientific community has unanimously settled the debate, on the February 19, 1994 Riverside General Hospital emergency room case, Gloria will forever be known as the Toxic Woman. So that's it for this week's episode of Every Town. Tune in next week for another one filled with scary, strange, and mysterious stories. And who knows, maybe your town will be next.